nectar invitation that you've been handing out to all your friends, right? Huh? Huh? The topic is guilt today. Do you live with any guilt in your life? Things you've regretted. Things you've wished you've never done. I know I have. Guilt is the state of being responsible for the commission of an offense. And what guilt says is, I owe you. Guilt is the result of having, some, uh, having, of having done something we perceive as wrong. And every wrong that we've done can be restated as an act of theft. If we look in uh, Psalm 38, I have it on the board here. It says, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. It's David. Man, for God's own heart, was weighed down with guilt. Consider the man who runs off with another woman and abandons his family. That happens a lot in our community. Without realizing it at the time, he's stolen something from every member of that family. He's stolen his wife's first marriage, robbed her of her future, her financial security, and her reputation. He has stolen the father and what a father means to a child in the house. He's robbed them of Christmas, traditions, financial security, emotional security, dinner with the families, etc., etc. The man doesn't think in terms of what he has taken, he thinks in terms of what he has gained, a new relationship. But when his little girl asks him, why he doesn't love mommy anymore, his heart is stirred. He now feels guilt and dad owes. And whenever you or I wrong another, we create that same dynamic. We even adopted a terminology for it. I owe her, or I owe him an apology. Why do we owe someone an apology? Because our hearts tell us that something in the relationship we took. And we're now debtors. In other words, we're in debt to that person. So we owe them something. And to make it right, we pay up. And that currency is called, I'm sorry. Because we've damaged our relationships. And the devastation that financial debt can bring, and we all have realized that in some way or another in our lives, the debt created by guilt is just as devastating. The man who left his family and left a crushing debt on top of his kids tries to make it up to them. Motivated by a debt-to-debtor relationship, the dad compounds the problem by making a series of debt-motivated decisions that cause more problems. He attempts to buy love. Results in excessive materialism and a corrupted view of self-worth. Let me give you this. Let me give you that. I don't have time, but let me give you this. I haven't been here for you, but let me provide this. To buy peace, parents fail to set appropriate boundaries for their children, resulting in more destructive behavior that would have never been tolerated if the debt wasn't there. And it's the children who lose out. We see it in grown-up relationships. 
if, you, if there's someone in your life that owes you $200 or more, you probably don't see them very much, do you? They're probably not calling you up to come over to the house, are they? They're not eager to have fellowship with you because they owe you something. Power is this, the rich rule over the poor. And the borrower is slave to the lender. The authority belongs to those who are owed, not those who owe. And he creates this relationship with people that we owe money to, with people that we've had broken relationships with, something is owed. And we wish it goes away, but it doesn't. And so we harbor the secrets of guilt in our heart. But you know, secrets lose their power. I touch my, I taught my kids this and it's the family devotional. When you keep secrets, your heart gets sick. And secrets lose their power when exposed to light. The light that frees the heart from the power of guilt is confession. But not the confession you're thinking about. Not just a simple culpability admission. Yes, honey, I ate all the eggs that was on the stove. Yes, officer, I was going 80 miles per hour. That was me last week, coming to church getting pulled over. I thought because I confessed, it's going to make it all right. He was going to be like, oh, you got open. You confessed. You're good. He went back. his license registration. He went back. And he, he did the walk back to his car, and he, I saw him flip the book open. That means that you're going to pay. Not the kind of confession that eases our conscience temporarily, but does nothing to expose the deeper secrets that we carry. And it's the secrets that keep our hearts in turmoil. You know, growing up, I, I would go to confession. I went to a church where they even had a little booth you'd walk into. And there'd be a guy on the other side, and there'd be like a little screen, and you go in there, and you, you, you have an option of looking at him or an option of not looking at him. And I chose the option of not looking at him. <laughs> and I would sit there, and he would ask me, Son, when was your last confession? I don't, three months. Sir, three months, Father. Tell me, sons, what are your sins? And, he, and I, I'd see a shadow figure like this. And I would just tell him. I couldn't see his face, but I would just tell him. I lied. I stole. I drilled a, a, a hole in my desk. I stole money from my parents. I said these words. I said this word. And he would say, yes, you can go now. And I, after that, I felt like my conscience was clear. And so every, every six months, I would go and do that routine but I started to, to, to catch on to something. All I have to do is come here every six months and get open, and then I'll be all right. Everything's going to be great. And that was my loophole. And then when I became a Christian, guess what I brought into my Christianity? I brought that same kind of mentality. I did the studies, and I got broken, and I repented. But then th that mentality kept creeping back in. Well, if I just get open and confess it, maybe that'll fix everything. You know, when, when it, whether it was on campus as a college student or on campus as a minister, the purity to stay on campus, the purity of heart, the purity of mind, especially when I was on campus. 
I would just get open to clear my conscience. But it had nothing to change the deeper secrets of lust that I had in my heart. So I would just get open, get open, just to clear myself. And that confession game led to other secrets. In fact, immorality as a Christian, which I swore I'd never do when I became a Christian, I did. Because I played the game of confession just to clear my conscience. I wasn't confessing as a step toward changing. My confession was all about guilt relief. My routine had nothing to do with change. I just wanted to feel better. I wanted to appear spiritual. I wanted to look the part. And chances are, you're playing your own version of the confession game too. Because we all do it. Some confess to a priest, others directly to God. But no, no one is really interested in changing anything when we do that. But we sure do feel about better about ourselves. Then we think that God is on our side. But why would you side with someone who treats you like that? Imagine you had a brother or sister for a moment. Just think for it for a second. Who continually stole from you, embarrassed you publicly, talked badly behind your back, but once we came to you in very general terms, says, I'm sorry. And then turn, when you turn your back, they go right back to doing it again. And to make matters worse, they have the nerve to ask you for help. How would you characterize that relationship? There would be no relationship. At best, you feel used. More likely, insulted. We play the confession game because somewhere along the line, we realized, we're taught or accepted this in our hearts, that the purpose of confession was just to relieve our conscience. We, get, we even put a theological spin on it that we think that God will feel, feel better about what we did if we just confess it. But come on. That does not even make any sense. How can confessing to God about what you did to another person make everything right? How does that restore anything? That's like me yelling at my wife and talking to God, God, I'm sorry I did that, never, never addressing it with my wife. If you're married, you know you can't get away with that. <laughs> if you're married, you know there's, there's going to be a cold dinner. There's going to be a very stale air in the room. But, I, but honey, I, I confess to God. I repented. That is not going to fly. Because now I, I owe something. What about the person you've wronged? See, it doesn't make any sense. Pseudo-confessions don't remove our guilt. We're trying to take spiritual Tylenol. It takes the edge off, but it doesn't heal the wound caused by our sins. As Paul said, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges. A lot of times we try to convince ourselves, well, my conscience is clear. Yeah, but it's the Lord who judges. You're not the judge, but we play the game. We play the game to justify not making the relationship right. I do it. It's just self-deception. I want to move on so fast with an I'm sorry. I want, I want to blow by the deck going, I'm sorry. 
Karen's like, that's not sincere. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> then she knows I'm acting. Because I want to blow by it so fast. I don't want to deal with the damage. Because it's going to take change. I was trying to confess and say I'm sorry to relieve my conscience. Not to truly change. The English definition of confession is to admit or acknowledge something. But in the scriptures, it's always associated with change. Confession is just one step in a sequence of steps that lead the guilty out of darkness into the light. In scripture, confession is clearly connected with restitution, repentance, and restoration. In the Old Testament, confession was always public and associated with restitution. Look here in the scriptures in Numbers chapter 5, verse 6. It says, Say to the Israelites, When a man or a woman wrongs another in any way, and is so unfaithful to the Lord, that person is guilty and must confess sin or the sin he has committed. He must make full restitution for his wrong, add one-fifth to it, and give it to all the person he has wronged. For the Jewish person, this wasn't about feeling better about yourself. It was about making things right with the one you'd sinned against, with interest. God is interested in change. And having to go public with your sin, having to tell another person your sin, that's what public is, and make restitution, it was certainly motivating to do that in the Old Testament. Consider John the Baptist in Mark chapter 1, verse 5. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John called people to repentance, as well as confession of sin. This wasn't a private confession. This was a public confession in connection with repentance. Confession wasn't about feeling better. It was a public step toward leaving your sin behind you, abandoning it. You know, in the New Testament, we find the infamous tax collector. What was his name again? Zacchaeus. He followed the Old Testament model of confession. But instead of the one-fifth that was required, he gave more. Zacchaeus gave back four times what he'd illegally taken. He wasn't this cute, short man in our children's books. He was wicked. He was considered a traitor. He wronged his fellow Jews. He left a trail of broken relationships. But when Jesus invited Zacchaeus, or when Jesus invited himself over to Zacchaeus' house, it changed him. That little tax collector was changed. He found hope. He found forgiveness. But what's amazing about the account is that instinctively Zacchaeus knew that it wasn't just enough to confess to Jesus. Look what he does. Look, Lord! Look! Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. 
And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay them four times the amount. And how do you think Jesus responded? No, 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 Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus. You confessed. You got open. There's no need to get all hysterical. There's no need to go, to go that extra. You've already confessed. No need to make it public. You got open with Jesus, man. Instead, look what Jesus says to Zacchaeus. Today, today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. He just didn't admit his sins in the past. He publicly took responsibility for them. He confessed in the truest sense of the word. Over and over in scriptures, the Bible talks about confession, not in terms of conscience relief, but in terms of life change. If there's something I want to change, I talk about it and confess it. If there's something I don't want to change, I don't say a peep to anybody. That's what the scriptures teach us about confession. And I think we've gotten in the habit of just being open without expecting ourselves that God expects us to change, not just to get open. Confession is the first step toward repentance. Here's, here's James 5.16. Hey, admit your faults to one another and pray for each other so you may be healed. It went from private to public. I'm going to tell somebody. James calls for a confession as part of the restoration to gain healed. He says nothing about relieving your conscience, nothing about feeling better about yourself, because it's a step toward change. And no doubt, this is what Jesus had in mind when he gave this bit of instructions. Look in your Bibles in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus gives us this shocking account or the shocking direction when it comes to our relationships, when it comes to confession, when it comes to being open. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. So if you're about to offer your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. Go at once and make peace with your brother and then come back and offer your gift to God. Imagine you, you waited in, in the temple, you're at the market, you're getting your stuff together. You, you enter the temple, you're waiting in line, you're ready to sacrifice and then, ah, how inconvenient. He puts a new wrinkle on confession. He reverses everything. In effect, he says this, our relationship with God hinges on our relationship with other people. The two are inseparable. He seems to imply that the, our ability to worship God sincerely and fellowship with Him is contingent upon our status of our relationships with others, including those we have offended. The truth is, you cannot really resolve your differences with God if you're unwilling to resolve your differences with people, your wife, your brother. Don't you hate it when you come to church on the way and you get a fight with your wife? 
You're like, why now? I couldn't have been after church. <laughs> and try to sit here awkwardly in service trying to think everything's all right. I've tried to do that. It is the most uncomfortable feeling in all the world. To act as if I'm spiritual when my wife is totally upset at me. It just doesn't work. But when that person's not in this room, we're totally fine with it. We play the game. We play the game. You cannot be in fellowship with the Father and out of fellowship with others over something we've done. The two go hand in hand. You know, we try to confess secretly to God or to a priest, but that's no substitute. You got to go to the person you've wronged. Why? Because God values relationships and considers restoration a priority. That's all. It's important to God. Hey, save your gift. Save the bulls. Honor Maximus. Remember that straight line in Gladiator? I'll, I'll sacrifice a thousand bulls to your name. Save the bulls. Get right with Maximus. Because in the movie, he knew there was something wrong there. And when he died, something wrong really happened in their relationship, right? We try to play the game. And part of a walking with God is making that call. That dreaded phone call. Right? Setting up that appointment that's going to be very awkward. Owning up to your part. See, when you want to make a relationship right, you've got to talk from a place of vulnerability. So what we want to do is we want to talk about what the, the crimes they've committed against humanity against you. That's what we want to do. I'll get together with you to tell you your, your crimes, your war crimes. <laughs> that doesn't work either. You got to come in with, hey, I want to come and be vulnerable. I find that when Karen and I speak vulnerably, if you hurt each other, we get resolved like that. When, when I want to confess her war, her war crimes against me, it goes nowhere and vice versa. But when we sp speak vulnerably and honestly and humbly, Man, we're right back on track. That's part of walking with God. Because guilt loses its foothold in your heart. And that power of sin is broken when we restore our relationships. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Here's a description of what your heart should look like. Well, not only when you confess, but confession is just one part of the sequence of steps when it comes to repentance and restoring your relationships. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 11, you see what this godly sorrow has produced in you? What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourself, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done? At every point, you have proved yourself to be innocent in this matter. What a connection with repentance. The church in Corinth had seriously damaged relationships. In the same church, brothers were suing each other. In the same church, one of the disciples was having sex with another disciple's family member. It was messed up. Disciples getting drunk together. Disciples fighting in households. Taking sides. 
Are you eager to clear yourself? Are you indignant to make it right? A lot of times, I'm slow to be indignant, to be honest. I want to hear the first, I want Karen to apologize first, and then I'll talk in terms of peace. It is wrong, it is sinful. I'm like a little kid. I run to my little garage, close the door, and act like it's all going to go away. And it doesn't. It's exactly how my relationship with my, with my mom. I would stop, I'd get angry, and I'd go to my room. And I'd wait for the apology. And I've been waiting a very long time. Because <laughs> I'm immature. Because when I get angry, I pout. That's just who I am. And I bring that into my relationship with Karen. And shamefully, she, she comes and she's humble first. There was a time when I, was, I used to be humble first, but I don't know what happened. In fact, I do know what happened. I started playing the confession game. I just wanted to blow by it. Say, I'm sorry, say, I'm sorry, say, I'm sorry, and blow by it. And then when there was, when there was more conflict and feelings, I didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want to deal with feelings. I didn't want to deal with the damage I caused, the hurt I caused. I didn't want to hear about that. So I would act angry and mad and make her be humble so that I could just sweep it under the rug or make my attempt to. But it didn't work. It doesn't work. But we can turn it around with the power of confession. I mean, just think about it. Put yourself at the receiving end of it for, for a moment. Think about this for a moment. Whose apology do you most desire and least expect? For me, that would be my mom. She was like the Fonzie. She's like, I can't get it. She wouldn't get it out. I heard it very little in my house. This person who seems completely insensitive to the trouble of hurt they've caused you. Imagine how you would feel if you got a surprise visit from that person. If that person walked in, sat down, and took full responsibility for what he or she had done to you. Imagine what might happen in your heart. This person with sincere humility offered you to do anything within their power to make restitution in what's been taken from you. My guess is you'll never be the same again. You, your heart couldn't resist the change. Your heart would melt. That's the power of confession. You know, Paul wrote this. Find the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Can you imagine how many relationships he destroyed when he was persecuting the church, taking disciples to prison, authorizing the, the killing of a disciple named Stephen. Can you imagine the destructive fear and lack of trust? And Paul confesses, I'm the least, yet he's done the most. I'm the least. Because I persecuted the church of God. 
Perhaps the greatest consequence of our unwillingness to own up to our responsibility is it, it, it'll fuel the bitterness and anger in someone else's life. Maybe that's, you're scared of their, if I go, then they're going to unload on me. They're going to really let me have it. But I believe for people who've been hurt by us and their souls are filled with anger and fury, I believe a simple confession can set them free. Because simply confessing to God doesn't accomplish owning up to your responsibility in the broken relationship. God's forgiveness doesn't exempt you from the responsibility for confession and restitution. On the contrary, His forgiveness is the very reason to confess. God paid a high price to reconcile you back to Him. And now He's calling on you to pay the price to reconcile yourself to others. Look at me in Hebrews chapter 12. It's a great scripture that deals with our heart. Hebrews chapter 12. Confession. Let's make that our new habit as we conquer guilt. Hebrews 12 verse 14. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up and causes trouble and defiles many. Look at the words here in the scripture. Make every effort. Live at peace. Be holy. Let no one miss the grace of God. See to it. God cares about the guilt we carry in broken relationships. And the habit of confession is not just a single event. It must become a habit in our lives if we're going to overcome guilt. But once we've moved past the self-deception, not with God, but with people who we hurt or offended, we can clean the slate every time. But it starts to become a habit then. You start putting it into practice. You start doing it. Too many of us, we try to ignore it. We hope it goes away. But it always resurfaces. You know, what I usually experience is that if I, well, it's two man's Lord overlooking offense, and it keeps happening, I get a little angry. There's no more glory here. I'm annoyed. <laughs> you know, last night we had a dart tournament. The brothers got together. Yeah, we did. I had to make a confession. I was expecting to win. Uh -oh. Just being honest, I, I came in there pretty confident. Come on. I saw the names on the board and I said, I, got I can take this. Wow. <laughs> you know, winning, three, winning the tournament three times in the last four years didn't help. <laughs> and I had a lot of pride in my heart last night. A lot. And it was, and I, I was trying to downplay it like, yeah. But it was there. It was ginormous. And, uh, you know, I, 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 lo I love the competition, but, I mean, it was, uh, it was a pride-swallowing siege last night for me. 
And uh, I didn't just get defeated. I got thrown out of the room. It wasn't just a, just a beating. I got swept out. Wow. And uh, thank you, Mike Dorn. I appreciate you. you uh, I don't have any feelings. I just wanted to confess that I was just full of pride. And uh, it, was, it, was, uh, it was tough. I had a hard time. I, I went to home bed, bed last night. I just couldn't sleep. I was like, why can't I sleep? I was struggling. Struggling last night. I didn't go to bed till like 3 in the morning. Started reading a boring book just to put me to sleep. Just put me to sleep. But it was just, I was just, I was just, I just was full of like this, I was so prideful. And just wasn't honest about it. Tried to downplay it. So I was prideful. And I'm glad I got beat. It was good. You know what, you know what guilt does? Guilt chips away at self-respect. It does. And confession has the potential to undermine and undermine your public respect. But self-respect is more important than public respect. You can't control what other people think of you. Either I lose the respect of others or I lose respect for myself. Why pollute your heart with guilt in an effort to protect a reputation you may not have anyway? We're always concerned about how we look or how people view us. Do they, do they view me as spiritual if I confess? Well, if I, if I confess, then it won't be viewed as spiritual. That doesn't make any sense. The spiritual person wants to restore and change. You know, we think of the, the King David. Everyone always says he's a man of guy killed somebody, murdered somebody, slept with another man's wife, impregnated her, and just killed her husband. Man of God's own heart. Yeah, because he, he dealt with it. We, we love the fact that he's awesome, but why? But he did something atrocious. Why can't we be like David? Get it open. Get it out. Because he's a man after God's own heart. I believe because we were afraid of our reputation. We're afraid what other people might think about us. And you lose your self-respect in the process. You know, a few years ago, I went to an AA meeting. I was helping a brother, uh, a brother get restored. I was blown away. Men and women standing there in the same room, and they were, just, they were confessing it all. Laying it all out there. I'm going like, I was just, it was uncomfortable for me hearing that. But it was the first step toward change for them. Just getting it out. It was so uncomfortable to sit in a room and to hear that after person, after person, after person. And some of those people I realized have been going there for 10 years. And they're just, they're just putting it out there and putting it out there and putting it out there. It was amazing. Confession breaks the death grip of guilt. It sets us free. To embrace God again. The consequences of confession are far less severe than the consequence of concealment. When we try to hide it or ignore it, it just makes it worse. You know, secrets are like buried splinters. You ever get one? The best thing to do is to get it out. Otherwise, it might get infected. Healing cannot begin until you get that splinter out, right? Until you confess. So let me ask you. You got any secrets 
that you're hiding in your heart today? Are you playing the confession game? Just to God? Just to a priest? Are you relieving your conscience but seeing no change? Are you tired of that? Because I get tired of that. Are you ready to break that cycle? Then start your confessions with the, knowing it's the first step toward changing. A lot of times we just stop there. I got open. I'm good. No, no. It's just the first step to changing. Because confession is a habit that could change everything. Thank you for your time. Let's enjoy the carnival together.